0: quote from the Buddha. For anyone who says, in whatever way a person makes karma, that is how it is experienced. In whatever way a person makes karma, then that's how it's experienced. If that's the case, the Buddha said, there is no living of the holy life. There's no opportunity for the ending of suffering. But for anyone who says, when a person makes karma to be felt in such and such a way, that is how its result is experienced, then there is a living of the holy life, an opportunity for the right ending of suffering. There is a case, the Buddha went on to say, where a trifling, unwholesome act done by a certain individual takes him to a state of woe, a state of great pain. There's the case where the very same sort of trifling, unwholesome deed done by another individual is experienced in the here and now and for the most part barely appears for a moment. Now, a trifling, unwholesome act done by what sort of individual takes him to a state of woe. There is the case where a certain individual is undeveloped in the body, contemplating the body, undeveloped in virtue, undeveloped in mind, undeveloped in discernment, restricted, small-hearted, dwelling with suffering, a trifling, unwholesome act done by this sort of individual takes them to a state of woe. Now, a trifling, unwholesome act done by what sort of individual is experienced in the here and now and for the most part barely appears for a moment. There's the case where a certain individual is developed in contemplating the body, developed in virtue, developed in mind, developed in discernment, Unrestricted, large-hearted dwelling with the unlimited. A trifling, unwholesome deed done by this sort of individual is experienced in the here and now and for the most part barely appears for a moment. Then the Buddha gives an analogy which is very helpful in our contemplation of Dharma which we have taught this analogy many times but it's important to reflect on. The analogy is, the Buddha goes on to say, suppose that a man were to drop a lump of salt, a salt crystal, into a a river, a pure river. What do you think? Would the water in that pure river become salty because of the salt crystal and unfit to drink? No, Lord. I skipped a bit. Suppose that a man were to drop a salt crystal into a small amount of water in a cup. What do you think? Would the water in the cup become salty because of the salt crystal or the lump of salt and unfit to drink? Yes, Lord. Lump of salt in a small amount of water. Then the Buddha said, Now suppose that a man were to drop this salt crystal, this lump of salt, into a pure river. What do you think? Would the water in that river become salty because of that salt crystal and unfit to drink? No, Lord. In the same way, said the Buddha, this is the case where a trifling unwholesome deed done by one individual takes them to a state of woe and the very same sort of trifling deed done by another individual is experienced in the here and now and for the most part barely appears for a moment. discussion of karma. Two people do the same trifling and wholesome deed. Not a big deal. Say you go into a shop. Sweets, candies, different delicacies on the trays, Someone goes in to the shop, and uh, it's a bit more furtive, maybe, and glancing, quick hand out, take a sweep. It's not a big thing. Let's say that is just the straw that broke the camel's back for the shop owner. He's not in a good mood. And somehow the look, the energy, somehow, they're robbing me blind. Them. So he drags the guy out and beats him up. For example. It's not that big a deal. It was, it's not wholesome, but it's not. There's a lot worse things one can do. What if someone else does exactly the same thing, taking something, not really thinking about it, person notices it, but then that other person immediately recognizes, flushed with a momentary feeling of, what am I doing? Immediate apology. Immediate, I'll buy the whole tray. It doesn't appear that long. It was unconscious. Somehow, one person against their will finds themselves being drugged into a hellish state. Another person, it, it it manifests, but not for that long. Similar karmas, very similar karmas, different results. Now, when the Buddha said, if the way you make a karma, that's the way the karma has to be experienced. That's how he started this. He said, if that was the case, there's no freedom. For example, if we make a karma, we uh, traumatized in our youth, maybe by being scared by dogs. We see a dog, we don't like one, we throw a rock at them, kick them. making the karma in that way, if it meant that we have to then become a dog, have a rock get thrown at us and be kicked by the other one. If it has to, if the law is absolutely fixed like that. Absolutely. Buddha said there's no end. Buddha said, actually it's not that way. If we let's get the exact words make karma to be felt in a certain way. Not that whatever way a person makes karma, that's how it's experienced, but makes karma to be felt in such and such a way. In other words, if we, in that action, the karma, karma means creation, that creation of mind and activity, rooted in aversion in the case with the dog it caused some pain ni- by the law of karma there has to be a painful result but it's flexible and that's where this image <coughs> of the salt crystal when that painful result, like a salt crystal in a small amount of water it's toxicity if there's a very small amount of water that's mixed with that salt crystal. It's unpalatable. It's over- well, It's hard to drink. It's too bitter. You get overwhelmed. <coughs> but if that same salt crystal is, is diluted, dispersed in a body of pure, wholesome energy, water, there still is a, is a painful Response, but it's much more mild, much more diluted. <coughs> Karma's flexible. Two individuals, how are they different? The one that was against their will, drug into a state of woe, the Buddha says is undeveloped in body. Just for example, notice the, the for example, the work we've done in this week, developing being with body being with breath, opening to that, allowing the body to be held in a wider space in the awareness, deepening that in our qigong practice, allowing ourselves to access spacious states of mind that were resonating with the in-breath and the out-breath, realizing that this body is connected to what's around us, to the sky, to the earth, to the breathing in and the breathing out. This person who was against their will drug into a state of woe by a trifling, unskillful deed was undeveloped in body, undeveloped in virtue. Very selfish, not thinking of what effect my life has on another. When we're undeveloped in virtue, we don't consider the harmful effects on another of cruelty, the harmful effects on another of taking what doesn't belong to. We're rooted in the contracted world of me and mine, what I need, what I want. Undeveloped in discernment, restricted, small hearted, dwelling with suffering. Discernments are wisdom when we're undeveloped in wisdom, then when a state comes, a conditioned tendency, a resultant karma, a karma, a creation. Tanisra spoke about this last night, that we have underlined, that we have strengthened by seeing it in a certain way over decades, over lifetimes over many lifetimes maybe. Karma comes. Maybe a state of confusion. When our heart is not cultivated discernment, then when the confusion comes, it's me. There's immediate association with it. I'm confused. Then our sense of self is locked into this state. I'm confused. You see the others open your eyes. Look how peaceful they look. Oh God. Smooth faces. Still only me. <laughs> Confused. <laughs> Turmoil. Look at that. They're smiling. Then rage. Let's see how equanimous they can be to this. Wah. <laughs> and that those states there's no discernment there any appearance is me but in our discernment practice what's different when we start to notice is it changing is it coming and going is it shifting who notices it suddenly the state the jitta, the heart that notices it noticing its nature to come and go we start to there's more space then the toxicity, the deluding power, the potency of that condition is dissolved somewhat. We're we're transforming karma when we do this work. Transforming. Helping dissolve the old karmic tendencies and and generating wholesome ones. What we face when we go on retreat a lot is, as was mentioned yesterday, vipaka karma. In Pali, vipaka kamma. Sanskrit, vipaka karma. The resultant impact from our creations of body, speech, and mind. The accumulated restlessness, the accumulated tendencies toward being this, being that, needing this, needing that, liking this, not liking that. And as our d- dear friend, the abbot of one of the monasteries, Ajahn Sincito, says, when you go on retreat, you're eyeball to eyeball with your karma. <laughs> and it's true. Right there. and it can feel like a big lump of salt in a very small amount of water <laughs> and so we do get swept away we fall apart we collapse we, but we have some skillful means moments of mindfulness being within and out breath the bowing the kindness practice the letting go the welcoming, the joyful, attentive, qigong practice. All these sorts of things help us. The unwholesome accumulated tendencies drag us to states of woe. The opposite, there's also the accumulated tendencies of virtue, of wholesomeness. It is said that uh, what carries on when we die are accumulated tendencies. We've, we've made much of and developed a lot of aversion, arrogance, restlessness, conceit, selfishness, this energy moves on, carries on. If we've cultivated and made much of Wholesome tendencies. These are carried in the heart. The wholesome tendencies, the, the Buddha called uh, paramita, virtues. It actually means that which carries us to the other shore, that which m- moves to perfection. Sometimes they're called the perfections. Paramita, to arrive. They're that which enables us to arrive. In this case, to arrive where? To arrive back home at our true nature. And in this true nature, there are the thousand dharmas. The Buddha says, and in the ceremony we'll be doing today, says, this heart actually is endowed with the thousand dharmas, complete with wisdom. <clears throat> Just don't notice it, don't access it. And we're deluded by the transitory phenomenon. The paramitas, these perfections, these virtues, carry us over this stormy sea of birth and death so that we can arrive at the wonderful true brightness. In the uh, Theravada system, there's ten paramitas that are perfected so that we can arrive home at Buddhahood. In the Mahayana system, they're slightly different. There's six. I'll touch on a few of them today, which we have been practicing, which, which is a very useful recollection for going home. In the Theravada system there dana, generosity, sila, restraint, nekama, renunciation, panya, wisdom, virya, vigor, kanti, patience, satcha. Truthfulness. Skip to one. Atitana, resolution. Metta, kindness. Upeka, equanimity. Might have put 11 in there. (laughs) Generosity, restraint, renunciation, wisdom, vigor, (coughs) patience truthfulness, resolution, <coughs> kindness, and equanimity. In the Mahayana system a little different. There's the generosity. There's the virtuous restraint. There's the vigor. There's the samadhi, what's called dhyana. And there's prajna wisdom. But, sure. Yeah, skipped one again. Generosity. Strength, counting this early is hard. Uh, Patience, vigor, uh, samadhi, and uh, (laughs) wisdom—six. Generosity. We've done a lot of generosity on this retreat. We might not notice it—giving ourselves, giving fully of ourselves. Why is this a perfection? It's the first one, very important one. Generosity crosses over stinginess, small-heartedness. What is one of the main qualities that, that when an unwholesome deed manifests, drags us against our will to a state of woe, is, a, is, is abiding with a small heart, a restricted heart. Generosity crosses over, it carries across mm. our small-heartedness. It helps us see that, it helps us transform that. The sense of self is, it can collapse around me. It can feel supported by what I've got. It can be supported by a sense of grasping and clinging. Generosity helps us realign ourselves with the fact that actually there is a flow. We, we, we don't, we're not separate. If we do actually cling on to stuff, we just get constipated. That's not a great state. That's not a great attainment. The image I remember a lot is the sun. The sun just thought, I'm radiant. Why should I share that with all those dark ones down there? But the sun just in being itself, just being itself, relaxing, being radiant. One tiny, 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 tiny tiny sliver of the sun's radiance powers this old earth system. Oftentimes, if you find yourself in a very in a state of woe, a difficult state there 's a lot of contraction around me and mine. Explore a gesture of giving image that comes to my mind that you 've heard a lot, but that uh, i'll always remember for the rest of this life during my sick years at Chithurst, when I was a uh, permission to die in the attic, just kind of lying most of the time I could Every once in a while, we'd get up and peek out the window. One typically dark, rainy, cold, winter, English day. <laughs> I peeked out the window. There was our driveway from the Chithurst driveway. that was forested. <clears throat> it was dark. No one was around. And then I saw one figure walking down the drive. And he had a rope. <clears throat> and he was walking down the drive. No one else was there. And I and I recognized him as a visitor to the monastery. And I, the thought flashed, Goodness, he's gonna to try to kill himself. So quickly I just threw a a, a robe around me, didn't and just Willed myself down the steps and out to drive to where I thought he was going. It was someone that had been in trouble with the law, had been in prison, uh, had uh, gotten involved with, uh, <coughs> overwhelmed by unskillful use of sexuality. Anyway, I got out there wasn't there he wasn't there, but I went down the drive and then saw him in the distance, and oh, he's heading for the forest so anyway, I follow him. he goes into a part of the forest where there isn't uh, anybody, and I I, I I find him you know trying to hook up this rope I said, uh, "You know what are you doing and he he didn't his mind was closed down he didn't want to know anything it was finished this life is checking out time anyway somehow I I, I tried to keep some words going and at some point he noticed my teeth chattering my teeth were just going (laughs) because I was freezing and it's like his eyes suddenly noticed your teeth are chattering you're cold. He just took off his jacket. Ah. Oh. He gave me his jacket. Big, heavy duty leather jacket. <laughs> the energy, we're not talking eternal here, but in that moment, the energy shifted. Whack. Open gesture of giving a moment of noticing context, a moment of noticing mm-hmm. a need, a moment without really thinking about it mm-hmm. and, 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 and then it was different we could talk there still were stuff to talk about but it was very different, there was a wider field He was now connected to a wider field. That cup was very small. It was very toxic. And he was being drugged against his will. He was being swept. There are so many opportunities to make a gift. Even a little gift. Try getting up in the morning and offering a leaf to a shrine. A bow just to the immeasurable Refuge of Buddha, of awareness. Offering a candle flame. Offering a thought, I don't have anything to offer. We've got lots to offer. A thought, may my family be well. Even that. If the mind has gone sour in every single direction, I can always think of, how's my little four-legged friend? May he be well. May you be well. Even that much, a gift. A gift of kindness. A gift of noticing. Mm. Explore this. When you're doing something, trying to get something back, there's always a strain in it. explore the different feel of just a moment of offering. This is a virtue that carries us across the sea, takes us back to a spacious, large hearted abiding. Second virtue, Sila, is also very similar. It's, it's, Whereas offering is exuberant, it's offering out in different ways, whether in material ways, attention ways, things. Sila is the opposite energy, but it takes us to a big play. Sila means not doing, not saying, not acting on what? On that which is harmful. It means restraint. This classically refers to, say, the guidelines of impeccable living, the five precepts. But it's, it's learning to avow, to train ourselves not to act in ways that harm, not to act in ways that take what doesn't belong to us, not to use our sensuality and sexuality in ways that are exploitative, that, are, that, aren't, that aren't right, that break up someone else's committed relationship or exploiting someone who's for example, under age or something like that. It's, it's learning to be, learning not to follow. There's going to be impulses of aversion, <coughs> impulses of attraction, impulses of wanting, <coughs> and learning as a training to say no. We don't pretend it's not there, necessarily. It's, it's a natural energy, but we realize this energy should be patiently contemplated but we don't act on this energy. Fourth precept is not speaking in ways that are false, divisive, harsh, frivolous. Fifth precept, using not to distort our consciousness with with intoxicants, but to... All of these create a wider field, when we have a moment of resolving not to harm, then any living being around us unconsciously breathes a little easier. We then generate a matrix, a web of what we're a part of when, we, when we're living by avowing not to harm, not to take what doesn't belong to us, then we, we generate a field of trustworthiness. A field of trust when we use our sensuality, sexuality, and speech skillfully. When we learn to treasure our consciousness, then we, we, we realize we want to be liberated by clear seeing, by the instrument of consciousness. We don't want a temporary, apparent liberation by intoxication that then takes us back to a, a nervous system that's been distorted. Depleted. Depleted. So, allowing ourselves to be careful, this having an opportunity, there's always an opportunity when, when we're in a moment and, and we're being beset by different tendencies, there's an opportunity for generosity or there's an opportunity for restraint. I just won't say that. But there's a wanting to say it. I oh, no. just won't say it. It doesn't need to be said. It's just a little bit hurtful, unnecessarily. Sometimes hurtful things need to be said to to make an important point. But when we're practicing this restraint, we're, we're learning how to give and we're learning how to stay patient with. once we set something in motion it moves so being careful once in a moment of anger just to be doing something I pushed I was on a mountain I pushed a big log (coughs) off the edge then with horror I looked down as it was bounding bounding bigger and bigger gaps down the mountain I thought I hope no one's there We set things in motion. It's it's okay to be uncomfortable and pause if we're doubtful about some things. Sometimes it's really useful to pause. Wisdom. We've been practicing that. That's one of the most amazing virtues that takes us home. Mm -hmm. Just seeing this is how it is, seeing the changing nature, unsatisfactory nature if we collapse and grasp or reject. In letting be, letting things come and go, accessing again the wider field of the heart itself, Sometimes, though, our sort of wisdom just can't do it because the toxicity is too great. We can't sit there; it's like sitting on a nest of red ants, as Ajahn Chah would say. Can't do it. Instead of collapsing, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I can't practice. I can't practice. I can't. As Ajahn Chah would say, if the obstacles come high, duck. <laughs> if they come low, jump. If we're sitting and we can't do it and we're overwhelmed, and then, then we change. Maybe we make a gift. Maybe we take a walk in nature and allow the wider field of the beauty of the trees, the colors, the life, do some qigong, something we, we realize we, we, this is not working. Kindness, very powerful. Change we can't let go, well then we let come, we welcome, not try to get rid of anything, have all the time in the world to be with this orphan of consciousness. We do puja, my favorite, most wonderful, skillful means, it's very useful at home, that we've touched on in this retreat, is holding the name of Kuan Yin. Okay, when we say a word, a mantra, a prayer, it it comes from the self, that Mm -hmm. sense of where we're at, we're using the body, we're using this mind, we're using our speech if we speak out loud. But the word Buddha or Kwan Yin also links us to the limitless, to that which listens at ease to the sounds of the world, to the one, the prominent, awakened Bodhisattva, mentioned in the very important teachings of the Buddha. Mentioned in the Lotus Sutra, a whole chapter of it, a whole section of that discourse given near the end of the Buddha's life, he he talked about the wondrousness and tremendous power of, uh, of the Bodhisattva who listens at ease to the sounds of the world. Even if you make offerings to countless powerful awakened beings, which is very virtuous, the Buddha would say, if you, if you even make one offering, one time to the Bodhisattva who listens at ease to the sounds in the world, the accumulated merit of it is the same because this awakened one is so wise, so powerful. Lost in a state maybe, or maybe not lost in the state, just Mm -hmm. doing it for the joy Mm -hmm. of it, but to be able to say, Namo, I return my life. A moment of resting. Kwan shi yin I return my life to the one who listens at ease. For the moment just allowing, not having to reject anything. The moment encouraging ourselves to rest with the suchness of this moment. Allowing ourselves to be open to the possibility of Kuan Yin's vow, Kuan Yin vow to, to help alleviate suffering, vow to respond to people's prayers, vow that those who hold her name little by little will be separated from greed, hatred, and delusion. Very useful practice. In this ceremony today, it's a, around Kuan Yin, in the Great Compassion Mantra, it's a, the whole practice is, is about consciously cultivating large-heartedness. we cultivate this faith. Puja means to learn to praise that which is worthy of praise. This is another very important way of deepening a virtuous tendency. When we're in a contracted space, if we even lift up the thought of something we cherish like wisdom, like compassion, like the Buddha, like Kuan Yin, then we link with that for a moment. In this ceremony today, they'll be bowing to, to the Buddha and even to different Buddhas, different Bodhisattvas. It can be overwhelming because we think, oh, just coming to terms with one is pretty much more. Just, just for those who choose to do this, it's, it's okay not to do the ceremony. But we, Tanisha mm-hmm. and I, have found it very useful over the years and many of you have already done it before. So just being open to it. The Buddha said our true nature has these thousand dharmas, has this Buddha wisdom within it, and that it is only because of our false views of attaching to this and that that we contract ourselves around thinking we're this and that, being born and dying. He said it's like, what did the Buddha say? The Buddha said, through the power of my wisdom I know the nature and desires of living beings. I see living beings in the sixth paths of humans and, and angelic ones and animals and hungry ghosts and fighting beings and hellish beings. I see how these beings enter the perilous road of birth and death, their suffering continuing with never a break, how deeply they are attached to the five desires like a yak enamored of its tail. Blinding themselves with greed, their vision so impaired they can see nothing. Buddha sees us. But the Buddha also said, and and we'll be open to this someone who even nods to the Buddha once, just nods to that awakened one. Already, the causal conditions are such that their Buddhahood is assured. Oh, come on. Because what we're attaching to why can the Buddha say that? How could he say it at the end of this teaching? You your heart should be filled with joy. You know you will reach Buddhahood. Really? A yakanamar with his tail. What we're grasping at is actually an illusion keeps disappearing. When we see a, a rope coiled up and imagine a snake, it's... <clears throat> <clears throat> then when we recognize oh, a rope, <clears throat> where did the snake go? <clears throat> there wasn't a snake. We imagined it. Buddha can predict this because our true nature is like the sky. It is luminous. There is the wonderful true brightness. And mm-hmm. in time, when we begin to make this move, yes, we'll forget it, but we'll come back again. And like one saint said, with a, when a big ship has a tank tanker hold full of cotton, one little spark starts the process. And then before long... all ashes and then space. Little by little with this kindness with this wisdom with this generosity with this restraint little by little we keep returning to that which is. Where the forms are perfectly interpenetrated with the space. When we attach to form it becomes birth and death. When we let forms be themselves, they're what's called wonderful existence. So it's said that true emptiness isn't empty. Therefore it is called wonderful existence. Wonderful existence doesn't exist. We think it exists and try to keep it, it becomes birth and death. Wonderful existence doesn't exist, therefore it's called true emptiness. Wonderful existence doesn't obstruct true emptiness. True emptiness doesn't obstruct wonderful existence. Patiently, letting each sound and each condition, each failure, each success, keep letting each one, as it shifts and changes, bringing us back to where we've always been. So it's not a question of me having to do all this stuff to eventually get to Buddhahood, but actually allowing each condition to do what it does naturally shift, change, dissolve each time we forget just the name Kwan Shi Yin sounding and dissolving bringing us back to the one who listens at ease when the great saint Ramana Maharshi was about to die people said don't go don't go don't leave us he looked up perplexed and said where could I go? Sounds go thoughts go forms come and go but as we cultivate this virtue of the path more and more we resonate with that which remains